went straight to the library. Brett came out, you know, covered in blood and, and deer fur and like and shook my hand, um, you know, with his still at the time had a, had a very Aussie accent and sat me down and said, look, you know, I'm just going to cook for you. If, if this is the food that you that, that you want to learn how to do, um, like you've, you've got a job. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Restaurants at the higher end are an amazing form of escapism from everyday life, a moment to be transported for a few hours into a magical experience. But what does finer dining look like in 2023? Billy Hannigan is the executive chef of the Charles Grand Brasserie and Bar in Sydney. Billy, how are you? Good, Anthony, yourself? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You're um, in control of um, a stunning-looking establishment that's emerged in the last year. Um, what's it been like? Um, it's 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 been really really good actually. Um, as far as any restaurant opening, anybody will tell you they are the, probably the best and worst things in the world. Um, they're they're fun. They're stressful. Um, look, you know. Opening anything from scratch, from from choosing the plates to the cutlery to the glasses to to writing the menu, even um, designing the kitchen, it's always yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's a very very rewarding project to be a part of. Well, it's it's really at that finer end of of dining, and you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, a couple of years ago, there was sort of whispers of was it the end of fine dining and would comfort food take over? What was it like for you being part of building this from the ground up and? Um, launching such an extravagant sort of offering. Were you nervous about it? Uh, yeah, I think you're always going to be nervous like about opening something as, as big and as grand as this. Um, a lot of the conversations that we had um, with the guys in, in, in the whole process was, yes, we wanted a big, beautiful, grand brasserie and, and the chandeliers and the bright lights and the marble and the brass and the copper, but um, we – we wanted all that without the fuss. We kind of, I guess, the way that we've written the menu is we want it to be elegant. Um, at the same time, we want it to be delicious, but without that that fine dining kind of, you know, you might sit down and you just, you're uncomfortable from, from get-go. You know, we want people to be uncomfortable and that's really, really important to us. Oh, that's really interesting because I think fine dining in Australia is a little different to, to that in Europe and we like things a little bit more comfortable and less pomp and ceremony. Um, you've had experiences overseas as well. How do you see um, Australian sort of top-end dining? Um, yeah, look, I can. I think it's as – look, I've been in the industry now for almost 20 years. I think back when I was an apprentice um, at, at, at the Benelong, you know, there was – there was Key, there was Aria, there was Tetsuya's, there was there was Mark at the time. You know, like these were the grand the grand restaurants of, of Australia. Um, I think as times sort of come come through, that there, yeah, there there aren't as many fine dining restaurants in in, in Sydney and, and or Australia. I don't I don't know if people want to eat like that anymore. You know, um, I think people yeah look like I said I think being comfortable is. Um, is, is, is important and obviously the, f- the food needs to be delicious but look whether it's got to do with inflation or I think you know people don't necessarily want to go out and have to commit to a to a $350 tasting menu on a Tuesday night you know there's surely that market is there for for some people but um, I think yeah in, in in my opinion I think fine dining is just slowly but surely just just come away in, in in the last 10 10 to 15 years but I guess when we Open the trials. We, 
did kind of want to bring a little bit of that back in, but at the same time, yeah, just not not have it as, as refined as some restaurants do have it. Well, I want to explore how you uh, strike a balance there and, and do what you do. It's getting such a huge name for itself in such a short period of time. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, so I started cooking when I was about 11. Um, my sister and I used to go back and forth from our mum and dad's house at the time. And um, dad was an amazing cook, still is. Mum at the time wasn't a great cook. So... We'd spend half the week, my sister and I, with my dad, and we'd have these lovely dinners and these great packed lunches. Um, you know, it might be down to something as simple as like a nice Nutella sandwich and, and, and a juice box and some fresh fruit and, and a yogurt. And then we'd get to, to mum's house and for lunch, she'd pack us like a ham sandwich with like alfalfa sprouts and peas. Um, you know, sure, you know, maybe they're delicious for, you know, for, for rabbits, but... Um, it just, yeah, it wasn't, you know, we'd kind of obviously love looking forward to going to see mum, but then weren't looking forward to having the packed lunches or, um, you know, I think mum was famous for putting peas in a lasagna, um, which sure, like if you can commit to it and make a delicious, you know, like green vegan vegetarian lasagna, great, but mum didn't always sort of pull it through. So I guess I started getting more interested in it because, um, look, not to throw shade at mum. I just kind of wanted to eat nice, nice, nice dinners or have like a nice, you know, beautiful ham sandwich at school, maybe something as simple as that. So I guess I just started watching, um, I think at the time, Jake, like the naked chef, Jamie Oliver was just really, really sort of starting to come through. So um, we were fortunate back then that we had Foxtel, so it could have all the food channels. Um, and then, yeah, just would sort of get home from school instead of watching cartoons, would just throw in a little bit of Jamie if, if, if I had the time. And yeah, I think I just really, really kind of took that on. It's, even still to this day, I'm just looking at my bookshelf now. I've, I've, I've got a, still got a few Jamie books and, you know, obviously credit to the guy. He's, he's done so well for himself, but just, I think that, that style of cooking, it was, it was quite rustic. There was, there is no fuss, you know, like it's, he just make a, you know, like a broccoli and anchovy pasta and, you know, I'm not going to peel the garlic. I'm just going to crush it straight away and just put it straight into the pasta sort of thing. So I think I really kind of took that on and um, tried to incorporate, you know, you know, pastas and, and, and little bits and pieces that Jamie would do um, for my mum. And then when I'd sort of get back to dad's and obviously just take a couple of days off and get back to mum's and then start practicing all those kind of pastas and bits and pieces. So um, yeah, I, look, you know, mum's, um, mum was a teacher back then. So she'd get home from work and just was, yep, no worries. Just do whatever you want. You know, like it's, um, you know, on, she was famous for saying that on, on her day to cook was the takeout night. So we, you know, so we'd get Thai or Indian or anything like that, but yeah, yeah. So I, I started cooking, you know, just doing drips and jabs and I was about 11 or 12, um, and then just sort of took more interest in it as school kind of went on. Um, I went to school over at Ashwood Boys High School, which, which, which was amazing. But I think when I was about 15 years old, um, you, you sit down, I was in year 10, sat down with the careers advisor and you've obviously got that option to, to continue on to 11 and 12 and do the HSC. But I think I've been quite lucky from an early age. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I was, you know, like I've still got friends, still got friends this day that that's like career wise, they're not too sure what they want to do, you know? 
I think I was lucky when I was when I was at school. I was doing extra sort of cooking courses up at North Ride TAFE. Um, I was pretty confident, you know. Look, like school was great. My my grades were great, but I just I don't think I needed to go to eleven and twelve at the time. Um, and again, that was back in the day where they were really sort of like pushing apprenticeships and. Um, trying to get more people in the workforce, I guess, you know, whether you're going to be a sparky or a, or a chef or, or a plumber or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, look, just had a had a good sit down with, with the family and um, mum being a teacher kind of really supported the idea um, as far as, you know, she knows the whole like apprenticeship scheme and they're trying to get more people into the workforce. So, we decided that I would um, not go to 11, uh, year 11 and 12 and then go and start an apprenticeship. Where did you first get your foot in the door? What what was the sort of venue and experiences that you had as a young chef? Um, so I was very, very, very fortunate. Um, my careers, careers advisor had set me up with a company called HTN, um, Hospitality Network. They're, they're still around to this day. And they put me in touch with um, Guillaume Brahimi at the Opera House. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I went for a trial. And again, like I'm, I'm, I'm 15 years old. Um, they, they sent me to the opera house and, you know, it's quite a, it's, yeah, it, it was quite nice just sort of like walking through Circular Quay and, you know, like you got the beautiful view of the harbour and, you know, obviously the opera house is so grand and, um, you know, I had my skateboard in hand and kind of just, you know, rocked up to this restaurant. I didn't know anything about hats at the time. I didn't know who Guillaume was, um, and look, they like took me through on a trial and look, it was a big, beautiful kitchen. And, you know, there was probably about 30 or 40 staff at the time and everybody seemed lovely. So, um, look, I didn't really sort of know any better. I just thought, yeah, cool. It's the opera house. I'll, I'll work here. You know, no worries. And it turned out to be three hat restaurant. I think it was probably one of the, the top five in, in, in Australia at the time, you know, behind the marks and, and, and the keys and the tetsuyas. So, um, very fortunate. I had a I had a good start to my career. Were you surprised by um, what it was like in a commercial kitchen? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, yes, yes. I think TAFE. Um, you know, and like the extra courses, like the extra cooking courses that I, that I'd done through through school. Like I did hospitality at school, and then extra courses at TAFE. Um, I think they definitely do sugarcoat what restaurants are like. Um, you know, I think a lot of people talk about like the old school days, you know, where it was, you know, it, you know, like all the hours and it was quite, you know, quite savage and, um, you know, people kicking and screaming that whole kind of Gordon Ramsay, you know, I think Gordon Ramsay set that up, you know, tw- 20 years ago. So, um, I think it was definitely like a reality, a reality check getting into a restaurant like Gilms. Um, Mind you, look, I was only 15. I think I picked Sherval and, and picked Basil for, for that Basil tuna dish for, for the first six months um, and just kind of had my head down and, and, and did my, you know, I think I was only on 30-something hours at the time. And, um, yeah, it was – ended up spending the next four years there, which was – yeah, which, which was great. Um, I know definitely put me in the right direction. You know, I was going to go into TAFE with some people that were working at Bankstown RSL and, you know, like they, they would, they would be in the TAFE class. I think the TAFE class dropped 70% in, in, in the first, in the first three months, just cause just, yeah. Like, and it's, it's quite, look, I mean, I'm not too sure about these days, but it was quite, quite common. Just the TAFE class just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because, um, yeah, look, maybe these kids were just sold the dream and then you kind of get into that 
you know, commercial cooking and you're working under stress and, you know, you might cut yourself or you might burn yourself, suddenly, you know, it's cooking food isn't so great. So, um, yeah, look, I was fortunate that I was at a very established high-end restaurant and learnt very good skills and, and, and standards from from an early age and was was, was definitely put, put through the ringer by, by, by the chefs there and obviously by Guillaume himself. And, um, yeah, like I, it was probably like the one of the better career moves um, as, as far as starting an apprenticeship. But I think from very early age, I was taught to deal with the stress and a restaurant being at the opera house, the volume, we were doing incredible numbers. You know, we were, we were doing weddings upstairs and pre-theater downstairs and um, cooking for five or six hours. It was just, um, I look back on it now and at the time it was hell, um, but yeah, again, like it definitely put me in, in the direction of, of, of kind of what I really wanted to do. You spent a lot of time in the UK. Tell us about the journey over there and, and was it, was it different to what you had experienced here? Uh, yeah, again, just, just when I'd thought I'd kind of completed cooking as, as, as an apprentice and I was very comfortable with myself after spending four years at Gilms, you know, I was fortunate I got to do all the sections and I was, you know, quite, quite confident with cooking meat and cooking fish and, and, and running a section. Um, a good friend of mine, Kirsty, she'd just come back from the Ledbury in Notting Hill. So, you know, after four years at being one restaurant, you kind of, you want to see something else. You, you want to see another type of cuisine. So Kirsty suggested, you know, look, why don't you, why don't you go to the Ledbury? There's a, there's a guy over there. His name's Brett. He's Australian. Um, they're doing some really, really, really good things. And, um, yeah, after umming and ahhing for a bit, just bought a one-way ticket and, and moved to England. Yeah, moved to, again, um, probably one of the scariest things still to the day of, 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 of what I've ever done. It's, I flew over there when I was 19. I never opened up a bank account. I'd never, I'd never paid rent. I'd never, um, you know, all this sort of stuff got, you know, had, had, had been done for me, you know, at a very early age with, you know, with my parents. So, so I was being like thrown in the deep end. Um, yeah, quite, quite a scary, but quite an exciting experience. Um, and I went and dropped all my stuff off, went straight to the Ledbury. Brett came out, you know, covered in blood and, and deer fur and like, and shook my hand, um, you know, with his still at the time had a, had a very Aussie accent and sat me down and said, look, you know, I'm just going to cook for you. If, if this is the food that you, that, that you want to learn how to do, um, like you've, you've got a job and did, you know, did me a five or six course menu. Um, with wines to match on a like a beautiful Tuesday sunny lunch, um, and it was very hospitable. Very that was you know probably my first that was my first memory of 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 Brett. Just a very very nice accommodating guy from get go. You know I was this nineteen year old. Um, I think my hair was bleached at the time. I don't think I had I don't think I had my skateboard at the time. But um, you know just this very like naive kind of young young chef and. Um, look, maybe Brett had saw a little bit of him inside me and, um, yeah, ended up spending the next six years, almost eight years on and off. Tell us a little bit about the produce over there. It's quite different to Australia. Was there anything that really stood out for you in your time at the library? I think, I think like the, like the, like the seasonal changes, we... England sure had some had some had had some nice stuff, but we used to get a lot. We used to get three deliveries a week um, from France. We used to get tomatoes and, and and lemons from Italy in in the season. Um, 
it was really, really, yeah, really, really quite unique. We get just yeah, certain days, certain vegetables would come in. Um, you know, Brett, Brett was kind of known for, you know, we'd, we'd do sort of one dish, you know, for example, it might be like a, um, like a, like a bean salad with foie gras and, and almonds, but the fruit, you know, it would be on for probably four or five months, but the fruit would change, you know, all through summer, it would, you know, it would start with nectarines and then it would go to peaches and then it would go to yellow peaches and then white peaches and then, then plums and sugar, you know, like it would just kind of transition all the way into, into winter. So, um, yeah, I think more, more as far as vegetables. I think like game season is 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 amazing and and very unique to to that whole sort of European dining. That's that's one thing that I know a lot of us young Aussie chefs would 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 go to would go to England or would go to Europe is because you know Australia doesn't quite have access to to say like grouse. Or, or, or beautiful types of, you know, different deer, whether it be Chinese water deer or, um, yeah, I remember that kind of being like a real eye-opening experience, you know, moving through through the sections in the, in the Ledbury and then you'd get to the meat section and same thing, just when you were kind of on your high horse and you'd, you'd been through all the stress and um, of learning how to prep these other sections and because, you know, I think cold starters was just as hot as hot starters. Hot starters was just as hot as fish. And then sure enough, the season would change, the menu would change, then cold starters would be just as hard as fish. And you'd kind of go through this kitchen every day. Um, I mean, look, everybody will tell you that worked at the library. Every day was just very, very hard. Every day was very, very hard. Um, you know, I think I was quite lucky that I had just come from such a hard kitchen um, I, I either like the been along that I could still deal with the stress. I could still deal with the, with, with the volume. Um, I still, still went down every day. I still got screamed at for probably the most stupidest things, but I think it was getting to the meat section and then you kind of come into that autumn sort of winter and it's like, right guys, this is game season, you know? And then suddenly you're prepping three or four different, you know, wild birds, Brett who loves who loves shooting game would come in, you know, at 12 o'clock at night, you've just worked a, you know, dare I say 17, 18 hour day and he would have a garbage bag full of just wild ducks. So just like, look, little, little things like that. Um, yeah, it was like a, like a very great experience to be. And again, at the time probably wasn't great because you've just been in the kitchen for, for 16, 17 hour days. And then there the boss rocks up at 12 o'clock at night. And then puts another two hours on your on your shift, and you're out there in the cold, kind of plucking all these ducks for the lunch menu the next day. Um, I'm kind of laughing and smiling about it now, but at the time, like it just like yeah, it was. It, but yeah, the, I think the, the culture and and the, the guys and girls that were in that kitchen, we were all there to do that. You know, like that we were all there. We we all flew from the other side of the world to literally pluck ducks at two o'clock in the morning for, for, for lunch menu. So, um, yeah, it was look very, very hard, but, but, but an amazing uh, restaurant to be a part of. What was it like coming back to Australia after those experiences at the library? Um, good, 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 good. I, I think whether it's just like that Australian culture in general, um, things are just a lot more relaxed here. Um, 
not saying that, not speaking for every, every kitchen, but, you know, the library was just so highly strong. It was just hard every single day. The standards were incredible. Um, I remember I came, came back to Australia and I kind of, again, just didn't really sort of know what, what I wanted to do. I kind of w- wanted to chill out a little bit because I've just been working, you know, dare I say 16, 17 hours a day for, for the last eight years. Um, was fortunate enough to get a job back in Guillaume's kitchen um, and then went, went back to Guillaume, uh, Bistro Guillaume as his head chef. So, again, quite a, quite a nice story to tell. Started off as an apprentice and come back 10 years later, no, 12 years later and um, get a job in his kitchen as, as his head chef. And, yeah, that, look, that, was, that was really good. It's, I think the hospitality in Australia is, is completely different. Obviously, it's like the, the hours are less, um, you know, Libri was open lunch and dinner seven days a week. You know, Guillaume at the time was closed two days a week. You know, we were only open for lunch five days a week. It was just a bit, the salaries are definitely a lot better. Every, everybody will tell you that the salaries in Europe are and absolutely atrocious. So, um, it was, yeah, it, it was it was really nice to sort of come back, really nice to come back to Australia. What surprised you about the um, being a head chef at Bistro Guillaume? Um, I, it was, I guess... The first, my first role where I had more or less complete control. Um, look, obviously with Guillaume's name on the front door, you know, when we'd come to menu development, um, it would kind of need to be more or less like a 50-50. You know, I was, I was fortunate that I could bring back a lot of recipes, a lot of ideas, a lot of cooking methods um, from, from the library. You know, I, I essentially left there and I was quite institutionalized because all I thought was, was how to do things Brett's way. Um, I guess it was just more adjusting on how to come back and do it Guillaume's way. Um, you know, Guillaume, Guillaume, Guillaume was very good and let me kind of you know, ex- express myself and, and experiment, but at the same time, I kind of, it, without coming away from the narrative of what Bistro Guillaume was, it was, yeah, kind of bringing maybe like that, that, that library, the library skills, but also it needed to be, you know, on brand with what Guillaume would do. So, yeah, that was look. That, that that was really really good, um, and definitely like a good like a good practice, a good warm up for for the position that I'm in now. Well, tell us a bit about how the role came about. So, Guillaume, I ended up spending the next three years at Bistro Guillaume. Um, then, unfortunately, the restaurant closed due to COVID, as most places did. Um, then there was there's about a year limbo, as everybody knows, where. I was. I went out to help a friend reopen up a restaurant over in Manly. A good friend of mine, James. Um, uh, Sebastian Letard had reached out to a good friend of mine, Nick Hill, who's the head chef at Porcine, and approached him about a gig um, to open up Lulu. Actually, um, and from what I understand, Nick turned down the offer, but put gave Sebastian my my number, and Seb reached out one day and said, "Hey, look, you know we've." We've got this venue that we want to open up in North Sydney. It's going to be a French bistro. Would you be interested in? Um, and look, at the time, I was just helping a friend out in Manly, which is, which was also great. But look, sure, I wanted to get back into a head chef position. So, sat down with Seb, um, and Seb gave me the pitch. And look, it, it sounded very on brand with what I'd just been doing at, at Bistro Guillaume, and I, I felt very comfortable in, in, in taking that role. Um, what, what I wasn't ready for was the process that, that came with it. Um, 
you know, normally for, for a chef to get a job, you're kind of put in the kitchen and you might be given a bunch of chives to cut or you might be given a steak to cook and you can kind of see how someone sets up their chopping board or how they, how they handle themselves on a stove. You can kind of gauge someone's ability. Um, so coming from that whole corporate background, Etimon Projects um, basically put me through the ringer. Yeah, prove to them that I'm the best person for this job. Um, then I had to, then I had to cook for them, which 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 was a great experience. Um, then I had to cook for the boss again. It was yeah, quite quite a lengthy experience. This this job interview literally went for three months. Literally went for three months. Um, I guess, look, Lulu was the first restaurant for this for this company. I guess they just wanted to make sure that they were hiring the right person. Hence, hence all the interviews and having to cook for them twice. Um, the, yeah, the, the the first cook I think went really really good. And my understanding was, I you know like like the job it was all high fives. Yeah, Billy, everything's great. And then the uh, the owner of the company brought me back, and I had to do another another meal for him. So. Um, yeah, look, eventually got the job, signed the contract, came away from Manly and, um, was kind of brought into that whole corporate environment. I think for the first, for the first two months with, with Etimon projects, working on this Lulu project, it just didn't put a, didn't put a chef jacket on, didn't wear an apron, didn't touch a knife. Um, I had started at the time with, with the baker of Lulu, Brendan Woodward. And yeah, it was kind of a, kind of weird uh, experience, you know, like just going to work to, to Barangaroo every day, you know, just dressed in a button shirt, you know, chefs, like we don't, we don't do that, you know, like we don't getting used to like that whole sort of corporate environment. So look, that was a different, you know, that definitely was an eye opening experience. Um, and worked on the Lulu project for about a year at the same time, um, you know, battling with COVID and construction and council. Um, I started on that project in, 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 in February. We were supposed to open in June, July. We didn't get the restaurant open till December. So there was a lot of like, a lot of just back and forth. There was, there was lockdowns, of course. And look, as I said, there was construction. There was, you know, we wrote a menu for a, for a winter opening, then wrote one for a spring opening and then wrote one for a, a summer opening. So... With all those, with all those menus, with, with with trialing and all little bits and pieces, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, um, was 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 quite quite a quite a unique and tedious experience, I suppose. Um, and then look, Lulu, we finally got Lulu opened in in December last year, and sure enough, fate would have it three days before the opening, I got COVID. So quite, yeah, you would think like after a year of being on this project, project, I'd be able to be there for the first service, for the opening of the venue, and I was stuck at home. Um, rather, rather annoying, but um, yeah, I eventually got back to the restaurant and Lulu, you know, has, has been doing really, really fantastic, being awarded um, uh, a chef's hat this year, which, 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 which is fantastic. And a couple of months in, um, Sebastian comes to me and says, Oh, look, you know, we want to open up another restaurant. What do you think? And kind of gave me the pitch and went through all the bits and pieces. And yeah, I, I didn't really have a reason to come away from, from Lulu. It was, look, it's, it's like the team there is great. The, the people there is great. Like the culture, the food, it's absolutely delicious. Um, but look, I think it's 
definitely something that I want to do a lot more in my career is just open up restaurants and kind of be a part of that process and look, like I said, it, it, it is stressful and it can be a bit tedious, but I think that's like the progression of the chef. You know, you slowly but surely, you know, you might be picking picking shervil and picking basil one day to cooking meat the next to kind of opening up restaurants and being part of that more of a corporate kind of environment. So that's something that I definitely intrigues me. So yeah, came away from uh, came away from from Lulu, and um, this is probably about after six months of opening, and started on the new project, which is of course the Charles. Tell us a little bit about uh, the food and the offering that you have there. Is there a couple of dishes you can tell us about that kind of exemplify um, your cooking and what you're doing there? Yeah. So, look, one thing that we we have gone to market with is the aged duck a la press. Now, look, so many restaurants in Sydney do do a fantastic duck. Every everybody loves duck. You know, you could probably argue that you know duck duck pancakes hoisting sauce is probably one of the most delicious things ever um what we what we do what we make it unique is we have these beautiful brass um it's like a press contraption so we age the duck um we glaze it um we actually blow air into the carcass of the bird to separate the skin from the meat the and then age the duck for for 14 days from for 10 to 14 days as, as most people do um, to take that water can, water content out. We want that skin to be crispy. Um, and then for the preparation of the, uh, the duck, we take the breasts off and we extract the, the juices from the carcass to make the sauce, which is like a very Michelin starred French kind of way. You know, there was, there was talk about doing this table side, which, which, which most places do. But I think with the logistics of the restaurant, there's just, there's not a lot of room. I think coming into December, we had close to 400 ducks on site coming to probably one of the busiest months. So it, look, it, 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 is a, it is a process and, um, you know, we have two or three of us sort of prepping them at the time and the whole sort of glazing process. So um, just one second, my, my dog keeps playing with the ball and then it fell under the couch and then it's just now she's crying and it's kind of annoying. Um, Okay, great, 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 great. Um, yeah, so look, in the end, all we do is we serve the duck on the plate um, very, very simply with the, with a delicious sauce. But I guess it's just like the process that goes behind it. There's, there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of, um, again, very, very similar techniques to what we did at the Ledbury um, is kind of is brought to, to this duck process. But in the end, we just serve like a beautiful plate of sliced meat. We serve the legs on the side um, and just a beautiful sauce made from all the blood and all the fat that comes out of the carcass when it's pressed to order. So um, if you are listening, I would definitely come for the duck if you do come to the Charles. It's, it's such an amazing offering um, that you've created there and experience. What, what, are you, what are you loving about what you're doing there? Um, look, it's, it's, it's not only just a beautiful restaurant, um, it's, I think it was great that I had, look, you know, Lulu, opening Lulu was great. We did some, we did some fantastic things, you know, probably in, in the experience, we did some not so fantastic things just because of COVID or just trying to work around with staff and, and, and culture and little bits and pieces. So I was quite, quite fortunate that I had a practice run, you know, so I was able to take all those great things that we did from Lulu and apply them to the child. So as far as a restaurant opening, you know, although 
it is super hard. Um, it was great that we kind of, yeah, had a, had a practice run. So, look, we got, look, we've got some great staff. Um, we've got a really, really good team. I know, you know, a lot of guys in, in kitchens at the moment will say that there is like a shortage of, a short, shortage of chefs. And yes, you, it's, it is very hard to sort of come across, you know, talented people and have enough of them. Um, I think we were quite fortunate that we opened up the restaurant. We had a full team. I actually think I had about three or four more guys on the roster than what I needed. So it was just a comfortable opening. You know, we, 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 we didn't come, you know, Lulu, I think my first week I clocked 104 hours. I think my second week was, was 90 odd. Then my third week was 80 odd. I think the trials, it was, yeah, it, it was, you know, we didn't do any more than say 50 or 60 from get go which is look 50 or 60 hours in in you know in a week is is still a lot but it's pretty standard for for for, for chefs so yeah look it already feels like a well oiled machine um it's you know we are we do have a we do have a beautiful breakfast offering which is um which which has been great, but you know breakfast can can take a strain on on a kitchen just because someone's there from from so early. But look, the breakfast has been great. Lunches, being a city restaurant, have been fantastic. And then, um, yeah, look, dinners. Look, we've been quite fortunate. We've been super busy from from get go. Well, Billy, it's amazing what you guys are creating there, and an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Good luck with the year ahead, and keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Awesome, Anthony. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.